Well, good morning again. I didn't expect to see you all here again so soon. Are you enjoying your visit? Cascade Falls is a nice place, it's true. Oh. Bubba, are you all right? Yes, ma'am. The ground broke my fall. You need to pay attention to what you're doing because you could get hurt. I know. I think I just need a taller ladder. Well, be careful. Goodness. Henry? Henry Collins, is that you? Miss Rosie? Well, Henry Collins, what brings you back to Cascade Falls? I thought we'd seen the last of you years ago. Yeah, I thought so too. I see Bubba's still working on that Christmas oh, tree. Oh, he does it every year. I know. That's why I'm here. Is it now? Yeah, I'm the editor of a newspaper in Denver. I came here to do a feature story on Cascade Falls' famous tree. So, you're the editor, and you're doing a human interest story? Don't you like have a junior journalist that could handle that for you? What is it that you're doing with that computer, Henry? It's uncanny. I just can't get a signal. A signal for what? Wireless, satellite, something I can get onto the internet with. We don't have internet in Cascade Falls, Henry. No internet. Uh -oh. Great. Yeah, Collins. Yes. Yeah, I'm here. No, I can't get a... No. I'm trying. I know. Bye. So, uh, was that your boss? No, I'm the boss. Ooh. Sorry, Miss Rosie. That was Barnes, my publicist. He's waiting on me to send him chapter four of my new book. He's putting all kinds of deadlines on me. You like this fancy job of yours, huh? It's not exactly what I was expecting. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Long hours. Yeah. Stressful. Look, Miss Rosie, it's been nice talking to you, but I really got to get a move on. Be sure and stop by and see us before you leave, and have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, sure. Cascade Falls, the town that time forgot, that I tried to forget. I grew up here. I used to work at the market doing inventory for Wilbur. Oh, man, I hated it. It was way too quiet and boring. No, I wanted more, bigger, better. One day, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was getting out of this stupid town. I wanted to make money, loads of it. I was going to make it big, and I was never, ever coming back again. Well, I made it big. Life is anything but quiet now. Success really isn't what it's cracked up to be. It takes its toll. So I'm back. I signed myself this little human interest story here in Cascade Falls because I thought 
I thought it might be a way to just get away from everything for a little while. Oh, no, not again. How in the world do they expect me to get this done in time if they keep bothering me like this? Yeah, you pays me, Barnes. What is it? No. Now, what in the world makes you think I've got time for something like that? No, I told you to do it. So do it! Hey, who's the boss here? Because I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere, thank you very much. Since I grew up in this podunk town, I'm the best one to write the stupid Christmas story about the stupid Christmas tree. No, I can't. Because, will you please just be, hey, hang on, I've got another call. Collins, yes, yes, I told you I'm working on it. I'll get it to you as soon as I can, now bye. Hello? Oh, hey, Mike. Yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm looking at the tree right now. Oh, yeah, it's a beauty. Ah, yes, his name is Bubba Cooper. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Bubba, that's his name. Just write it down. I'll call you with the rest of the story later. <laughs> they don't have internet here. Hey, get another call. Bye. Collins. Barnes, are you still here? I told you, I don't want to talk to you. I know you have deadlines. Hey, newsflash, so do I. No. Hey, I hired you, remember? Hello? Hello! I was going to hang up on you. Hey, Bubba. Hey. Uh, excuse me? Go away. I what? gotta stay focused. I can fall can't, off this thing. Can't you just answer a few questions? Nope. I gotta get this tree done. Look, Bubba. Then I'll answer your questions. Quit talking. Look, Bubba, you've got to talk to me, because as soon as I get a quote from you, I can get out of here. Nope. Bubba. Nope. Bubba. Nope. <laughs> Bubba, say something. I ain't saying nothing. You just did. That don't count. <sighs> Forget it. Bubba. I've been trying to find a place I can hook my computer up to the internet. Do you know where one is? Nope. I know trees. I know lights. That's about it. Yeah, no argument there. But thanks for the quote. <laughs> Barnes, I told you I don't have time to talk to you right now. Merry Christmas!
Well, I'll pull these out because I think Bubba's not going to be around for a while. How are you doing with all your shopping? Is it still stressful? I got a call from my wife yesterday. I was here at the office. She said, do you want to go with me to Michael's? <laughs> now, there are two questions in that sentence. And they're somewhat conflicting because I always want to go with Mary Alice. I never want to go to Michael's. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Michael's is one of these craft places. And um, there are no outboard motors or guns or anything in surround sound at Michael's. And so I went with Mary Alice yesterday, and I'm telling you, I took my life into my hands because one thing I discovered at Michael's is everybody there knows what they want, and I'm in their way. So it's just a stressful, it's a stressful time of year. And Henry there, is a, he's a great example of what stress is like. He's a bright guy, he's a well-educated, he's a smart guy, but he's almost paralyzed by the stress that he's experiencing this time of year. I remember a story I read several years ago about a pastor's conference in Houston, Texas. People came from all over the world to this conference, and a missionary from Africa had brought some African pastors to Houston for this conference, and during the afternoon session, when they had some free time, the, the African pastors wanted to go shopping, and they all wanted to go to different stores, and the missionary was concerned that they might get lost, so he gave each one of them his cell phone number, and he said, if you get lost, just call me, and I'll help you, help you get found again. Well, about an hour passed, and sure enough, missionary's phone rang, and voice on the other end in that perfect African English said, I am lost. And the missionary said, no problem, just lay your phone down and go out to the corner, the closest corner, and see what the street names are on the corner, and come back and tell me, and I'll help you, help you get found again. A few moments later, the guy came back, and on the phone he said, I'm at the corner of walk and don't walk. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. I'm at the corner of walk and don't walk. And it seems like the, the noisier life gets and the more cluttered it gets, the more confusing voices are there to tell us what we should do or shouldn't do. Right now, this series, Cascade Falls, Simplify Your Life, is about helping us simplify our struggling, challenging lives this time of year. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms. We're going to look at one verse from the life of a great man and what he learned about simplifying his life. His name is David, and by the time we run into him, he is king. Now, I need to take a few moments and back up, though, and tell you a little bit about how David rose to that position. When he was a boy, he grew up the youngest of eight sons. Now, in our culture, in our Western American culture, we don't necessarily assume, because someone is not born rich or born the oldest, we don't necessarily assume that they will not ascend to greatness. But in the Eastern culture that David grew up in, it would have been assumed that if anyone did well in this family, it would have been David's eldest brother, and if he didn't do well, it would have been the next one. But certainly long before it came the lot of the youngest son in the family, any greatness to achieve would have already been attained. David's job was to keep the family sheep. 
It was a time of war, and his brothers were all enlisted in the military. They were gaining glory. They were coming home with stripes on their sleeves and impressing the girls with their uniform, but not David. His job was watch the sheep. It was a simple life, not necessarily easy or without challenge, but it was a simple life. He, he helped the sheep. He got them to grazing pasture. He took them to water on rare occasions when some sort of marauding beast would come out to attack one of the sheep. David would fend that beast off, but most of David's life was very simple. Get up, take care of the sheep, go to sleep at night, and that was it. You know, there's an interesting thing that happens in our lives as we get older and get more responsibility. Our view of, of commands and laws and restrictions change. When you're young and you don't have any responsibility, it's easy to say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Have you noticed that? I mean, when you're young and you're basically not really all that filled with responsibility, you can say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. But after a while, you begin to gain responsibility, and people start counting on you, and good things begin to happen in your life, and the next thing you know it, you're hearing voices calling at you from every side. Everybody's talking at you. And that person who once was young who said, nobody's going to tell me what to do, you wake up one morning and you find yourself saying, would somebody please tell me what to do? And that's how it was with David. He killed a giant. And the rest is history. He was an overnight 15-year success. All the way from killing that giant to becoming a military hero and finally becoming king. It's good to be king. That's what they say today. It's good to be king. Why? Because the idea is when you get to be king, you can do whatever you want to do. Just as I thought when I was a teenager growing up, when I get to be an adult, I'll do whatever I want to do. When I'm the dad, I'll, I'll do this or do that only to discover that when I finally got there, I had more restrictions on me than I ever dreamed. You, you could find the most important man or the most important woman in this room today, and by that I mean by worldly standards. I'm, some of you are CEOs, some of you are lead partners, some of you are chief of staff. I, I know that about some of you who are sitting out here. You could find the person in this room who has the most authority of anybody here, and I'll guarantee you what you would find is that person has more bosses than you can ever imagine. Because as you ascend through life, it just gets noisier. Everybody's talking at you. Everybody's expecting something. David is now king. And what he has discovered is that life is a great deal more complex. It's a great deal more complicated than when he was a shepherd boy out there in the hills singing songs to God. Now he's got a budget director, and now he's got a military chief of staff, and he has a personnel chief of staff, and he has people on his cabinet that are involved in social action and, 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 and judicial affairs. David goes to cabinet meetings, and this person wants this, and this person wants that, and this head of this department wants this, and all these voices are screaming at David, and most of all, David doesn't know who he can trust. How does he know whether that voice that's yelling at him has a vested interest, or perhaps that person is, is not honest? How can he know whether he should listen to those voices? Everybody's talking at him. 
The text that we're about to read leads me to envision David in a particular scenario. I see him as he goes to one of these high-level staff meetings. He's seated, around the, and, and, and seated at a table, and around this table are the heads of all his departments, and they're conflicting in their advice. And one wants this, another wants that, and one says, David, this is what you should do. And the other one says, David, you can't do that. If you do that, it will ruin the kingdom. And finally, David just reaches the end of his capability to listen to advice. And he walks out of that cabinet meeting onto a veranda outside the room. And I think he says something like the words we find in Psalm 119, verse 143. Would you look at it with me, please? David writes, As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. I mean, David's figured out how to simplify his life. He's saying the more voices that are talking at me and the more pressure that's coming in on me, David is saying the more I, I want to just listen to you. God, what is it that you want to say to me? That's how he looked at life. And this boy who rose from being a shepherd to the most powerful man in the world said, here's the one thing that simplifies my life. I've got to hear from God. Now, I, I really find this interesting because David would have been, as I've already suggested, he would have been surrounded by the greatest minds of his time. But even as wise as some of these men and women were, David was aware of the fact that he could not be certain that he could count on their advice. We live in a culture today that's looking for an authoritative voice. Many of you already know what I'm talking about. When I, when, I, when I said, as you gain responsibility, you find yourself saying, would somebody please tell me what to do? <laughs> and we seek for that voice that sounds authoritative. But not every voice that sounds authoritative is a voice worth listening to. I found myself awake in the middle of the night not too long ago. I usually sleep real well, but maybe I had too much caffeine or something, and I awakened in the middle of the night prayed for a while and meditated, and then I decided I was going to get up and do what most men do. I got the remote control, turned on the television. Do you know what's on TV at 3 o'clock in the morning? Any other insomniacs here? Infomercials. Yeah, and one of the things that I noticed about infomercials is they make the most incredible claims, especially those that deal with health issues. They may not be smart, but they're loud, and they sound authoritative. People are looking for that Dr. Phil voice in their lives to sound authoritative, but not every voice that sounds authoritative is good. There's a magazine, Trail Magazine, in Great Britain, which is the most widely circulated climbing magazine in, in all of Great Britain. 37,000 people take out subscriptions to this magazine to learn about how to climb and descend mountains. The climate over in England is is rather tough on climbers because they can climb to the peak of a mountain in sunshine, but with the British climate, it can turn cloudy and foggy and snowy, and visibility can drop to zero, and climbers can be in a lot of trouble. So one of the things that climbers count on with Trail Magazine is to give them knowledge about how to navigate mountains if the weather turns bad. Ben Navis is the tallest mountain in England. It's almost 5,000 feet tall. A lot of climbers love to climb it. 
So Trail Magazine gave very detailed, almost step-by-step instructions on how to descend from the peak of Ben Nevis if the weather is bad. Roger Wilde is the head of a Scottish mountain climbing association. Roger read those instructions and he, it just, something about it set off alarm bells in his mind. Something was wrong. He had climbed that mountain and descended from it a number of times and he just knew that something was wrong about those instructions. And finally it came to him that if a climber perfectly followed those instructions, instead of getting down safely, that climber would walk off a thousand-foot cliff. Trusting the advice of that magazine, a climber would walk off the tallest cliff in Britain into the darkness, into the abyss. And when Roger Wilde confronted Trail Magazine editors about that, they admitted indeed they were wrong. The writer had left out a particular turn. All of us have authoritative voices in our life. There's the university, there are the business schools, there are the uh, business books, there are the gurus in our lives, the people at the seminars, there are people that we listen to who are authoritative voices. But how can we be sure they're right? You only get one crack at life. You don't get multiple chances to live your life. David was saying, I'm surrounded by authoritative voices, but he said, the more pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. Now, someone could say right now, Mark, I'm having a problem with this sermon because I I don't like this idea of God commanding me to do something. Mark, I struggle with that. If you want to tell me what God suggests, I'm I'm okay with that, but God's commands, that's a, a turnoff right there from the beginning. Well, maybe you should take your Bible with me one more time and look in Psalm 119 and find the 143rd verse and find what comes immediately after that because it may change our view of God's commands. Notice what David says in verse 144. Your decrees are always fair. Help me to understand them that I may live. Hey, did you catch that? God's Commands are always fair. My guess is that I'm talking to a lot of people in this worship center today and watching by television. My guess is I'm talking to a lot of people today who have many demands placed on your life. Could I ask you a question? Are all those demands fair? The demands that your family places on you, are they always fair? The demands that your work environment places upon you, are they always fair? I mean, I look at the demands that are placed on my life, and many of them are not fair. Many times the things that people expect from me are not fair expectations. And I really think that that's a real source of complication in our lives. We're trying to live up to this person's expectations. We're trying to please this person. We're trying to please that person. We're trying to be this for this person and be this for that person. And one day, we wake up in the morning and look into the mirror, and we don't know who we are anymore. That's because a lot of the expectations that people put on us just aren't fair. That's what David was saying. He was saying, the more I get stressed, the more I get pressure. David is saying, the more I want to live for an audience of one. I just need to please you. And he said about God, your demands are always fair. 
God's Son, Jesus, who is also God, came into our world. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. One day he was teaching, and he said this to the people who heard him. He said, come and follow me, all you who are stressed and pressured and loaded down with all kinds of heavy burdens. He said, come follow me. And then he said something that was kind of unusual and that may require just a little bit of explanation. Rabbis in those days who gained followers would ask their followers to take their commands upon themselves and live according to that particular code of commands or ethics or whatever. And many of those rabbis, they gained their stature by placing heavy demands upon their followers so that their followers could be set apart from others. And that was called their yoke, like you would put on the neck of an animal. And when a follower, a disciple followed a, followed a guru or a leader, they would take that master's yoke upon them. That's why Jesus said, all of you who are stressed out and loaded down with heavy things, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His commands are always fair. Anything he asks you to do, listen, anything God asks you to do is for his glory and you're good. God will never ask you to do anything that is not for your good. There's a word David used in verse 143 that has been a blessing to all of us on the staff as we've prepared for this, this service today. It's the word joy. David said, the more pressure bears down on me, he said, I find joy in your commands. David saw God's commands as gifts to him, as presents in his life. Well, somebody could say, Mark, how do I know what God's commands are? How do I know what God is asking for me? If he's asking for me things that are always fair, and by the way, could I take a time out? There's a lot of difference between God and religion. Some of you come from a religion background, and a lot of junk that religion asks of you is not fair. It's very important to sort out the distinction between God and religion. Somebody could say, well, Mark, how do I know what God really wants from me? How can I know what his commands are? Well, for one thing, I'm going to be talking about them every Sunday, God willing. So every time you come to a worship service, we're going to be focusing on what God has to say about things. And then if you have a Bible in your lap, your Bible is God's Word to you. You can study your Bible. Or it could be that somebody is here today and you say, Mark, I don't know very much about the Bible, but I'm going through an issue in my life. How can I know what God has to say about this issue? Well, I'm here, and the pastoral staff of our church is here. You can call our office and and we'll try to take God's Word to the extent that we know it, and we can do our best to show you what God has to say about what you're going through right now. We'll be glad to help in any way. But I thought to close out today's message, we would focus on ten commands that God has for us. You may know these as the Ten Commandments. And I want you to think about each one of these commandments today in two ways. Number one, I want you to understand that these commands are God's presence to you. And number two, they're God's way of you dealing with stress and pressure. 
Because every one of God's commands are geared to help you get rid of stress in your life. Well, let's, let's go to work here for a moment. Let's take the first one of God's commands. By the way, I've tried to get all the Ten Commandments down to one or two words so that you can have an easy way of, of understanding what God wants from you. The first command that God gives us is that we're not to have any other gods before Him. So we'll use the word worship. God has put within every human being a need to worship. And in the first command, God lets us know that we are to find our person to worship in God Himself. The second command is no idols. Now, I want to put both of these two down together because I think many people look at the first two commands and think that perhaps God forgot Himself and engaged in a little redundancy because they look pretty much the same, don't they? No other gods before me and no idols. But there's a very important distinction. See, the first one has to do with the fact that by the time you and I arrive in the world, there are already a lot of gods with a small g. There's false religion. There are things and people and nature that people worship. And what God is saying in the first command is simplify your life. Don't get caught up worshiping any of the other gods that you encounter in this world system. Command number two is God saying, don't you make a god out of anything. See, if I fall into false religion, I've broken the first command. But on the second command, God is saying to Mark, now Mark, you make sure you don't make a god out of the Dallas Cowboys. God, Mark, God is saying, Mark, make sure you don't make a god out of your house or your car or even the people that you love. See, that's the difference between these two, two commands. Then the third command, which is so important, God is saying, make sure that we reverence His name. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, the moment I put this one down, there are some of you that say, well, that one's the cussing commandment. That one's about don't cuss. Well, I think we all know we shouldn't cuss. A lot bigger than that, though. Today we're concerned about identity theft. Somebody could get your credit card number, your driver's license number, your social security number, and they could somehow pretend to be you and misuse your name and misuse your person. That's what God is talking about with the third command. He's saying make sure that we never misuse His name, that we never use His name without His permission. We live in a world where that's real common today. One of the most common expressions that people use is, Oh my God. You know, if you're not talking to him, that's not a good thing. God's saying, focus on reverence for his name. You'll like this fourth one, I hope. God knew also that our lives could get pretty filled and pretty stressed out. And he was concerned that our spirits and that our bodies didn't get overcharged. And so he gave the Sabbath day to the people in the Old Testament, the first day of the week to us, to recharge. And God is saying, make sure that you take time to recharge your physical body and your, spirit, and, and your spiritual person. That's what you're doing here this morning. God also knew that as we grew older and got more independent and uh, full of ourselves, we might be inclined to disrespect our parents. And so the Lord instructed us to make sure that we give honor and respect to our parents. That means to treat them with value. By the way, for some of you who are adults, you say, well, Mark, how do I keep this command? Because sometimes my parents are the very ones who are placing demands on me that aren't fair. 
Well, it doesn't mean as you grow older that you have to do everything that everyone in your family wants you to do, but you should always have respect for the people who brought you into this world. Then the next commandment has to do with sexual purity. God gave sex to our world as a marvelous gift, a gift that brings pleasure, a gift that allows us to keep the human race going. But sex outside of God's prescription can cause all kinds of difficulties. Nothing can bring stress to your life like getting sex out of its proper place. And God is saying, don't allow that to happen. Make sure that you have sex in its rightful, honorable place. And then the next commandment, God says to us, do not murder. We are to have a respect for life. But it's more than just going out and taking your neighbor's life. We should have a respect for all life. And in our culture today, there's often a disrespect for life under the guise of abortion, in which abortion takes a life. Or euthanasia. God is saying, make sure that you have a respect for life. Now the next command. God is saying, if it belongs to somebody else, keep your hands off of it. Whether it's something real and tangible, or whether it's something that's invisible and intangible, God is saying, make sure that you're honest in all of your dealings with other people. The ninth command has to do with telling the truth. You know, this is a great way to simplify your life. If you tell the truth all the time, you won't have to remember what you said. And then the tenth commandment, God is saying, be content with whatever you have. Don't wish you had somebody else's husband or somebody else's wife or somebody else's kids or somebody else's car, somebody else's job. God is saying, be content. When you look at these gifts across this stage today, these are ways God is saying that you can simplify your life. And could I say this to you today? If you're stressed out in any area, there's something up here that you need to pay attention to. For some of us, it's number two. We've made a God out of something. You know, one of the real problems about making a God out of something or somebody is that person or that thing can never really be God in our lives. Some of you are stressed for number two. Some of you are stressed over here for number ten. You, you want something and you don't have it, and you reach for it all the time. I'm just telling you, if there's stress in your life and mine, the answer is somewhere up here on the stage. I'd like for you just to bow your heads with me, please, as we close the service.